we, we would like to end this session uh, at 12.15. My watch says 11.07. So I'm going to speak for not more than an hour. Who says there are no miracles <laughs> in the Lord's recovery? But this miracle has yet to take place. <clears throat> I was asked a question during the break, and I believe it might be profitable to give the briefest of answers publicly in case that fellowship might be beneficial to, <coughs> to more saints. And the question was in relation to a statement last night that according to the word, the care for the children is first with the family, with the parents, and that we should not just pass this on to the church expecting the church to do what the family should do and then the comment was in the family unit the primary responsibility is with the father and uh, this elicited some fellowship among some sisters which I take to be very positive and so the question came forth you know the father is not home that much and then in what sense can the father bear the main responsibility when the mother's there more and then sadly there are broken families and there are abnormal situations where there's no father present at all so just two comments although I know this is not adequate granted the father bears much responsibility outside the home to take care of the family and may not be quantitative, qualitatively, quantitatively with the children as much. But still before the Lord, the brother, the father, must bear the responsibility for his family, to represent his family, to set the direction for his family so that it's not just abdicated the wife does everything the father uh, abandons it and evidence for this is in the fact that Paul in at least two of his epistles when he's talking about family life when he's talking about parent-child relationships he doesn't mention mothers but he mentions fathers isn't that interesting Ephesians 6 he says um, 6.4, and fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but nurture them in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Uh, we have a word about children honoring parents and about wives and husbands, but no charge to the mothers. I don't know why that is. Maybe they don't need it as much as we do. But according to the word, we have a word directly to the fathers, negatively, not to provoke their children, but positively to nurture them. We may think that is a kind of motherly function, but God doesn't view it that way. He said you need to nurture them in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Then in a parallel passage, in Colossians, uh, at the end of chapter 3, 
Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not vex your children, that they may not be disheartened. So if the father's uh, role were not crucial, Paul would not have singled out the fathers. Then the other part of the question is, what about in households where either the father is not proper or the father just isn't there? Well, surely this is a sad and painful situation and a fallen situation. But it doesn't negate the principle. But the dear sister is put into the extremely difficult situation of having to take care of that family. What is precarious is that um, there is no fatherhood there. But I believe that if we are really living the family life in the house of God and we have some relatively more mature brothers, they will become, at least to some extent, fathers. There are orphans here. James had a very good word about visiting widows and orphans in their affliction. And again, I don't claim to be anything in this matter, but I remember when we lived in Anaheim the first time in the early 70s on Romnia, there were two church families on the same street, and one was a sister with three children uh, and no husband on the scene. And while we were living together, I just had the feeling on many occasions just to take care of this little boy, Seth, as if he were the fourth Kangas child. And so when I got a big wheel, you might remember in the old days there used to be this contraption called the big wheel. Then I, I just got him one and assembled it for him. This, the, the Lord touched me, even with that verse, that there are, this is a painful situation. They're living in affliction. And the word says to, to visit them. This perhaps cannot adequately compensate for a broken situation. But is the church the real family? If it's the real family and it is the real family, then in our vital church life, not in a formal church life, we should have a feeling, here is a boy without a dad. I cannot overextend myself to try to be a dad to him in every respect, but cannot he receive at least a taste of the fatherhood through an older brother? Are there not occasions <coughs> where our household activity can be expanded to include him? Is there not a trip that, given parental fellowship and permission, he might go? If I'm going camping with my boys, maybe he could also come. Uh, 
we're not going to have an orphan visiting service group that formalizes it. But I believe if we are living Christ in our human life, some of us will have feelings about the affliction of others. And through the proper fellowship, the dear sister can be covered by the Lord's headship in the house of God. And the children will have not only the pain of being without a father, they will also realize this happened, but God is really my father. And in the church, there are brothers that really are a father to me. I believe and I know and I'm assured that when we touch Christ as love and Christ as life, we will love the children of the saints with the same love that we love our own. Of course, there's still the natural God-ordained family unit with a particular feeling. Uh, we honor that. But if we are living another life, we have the Father's life. The Father cares for all of His children. He knows some of them are in anguish all the time. They're unprotected. They have no proper pattern of what a man is then I believe as part of our church life, our informal, vital church life, we will visit these ones, we will remember these ones, and I believe the Lord will, will bless that. But the brother, the father, who is the head of the family unit, surely we must take the main responsibility to bear our household before the Lord and to set the direction. We admit that in most cases the mother is spending more time with the children but we do not abandon this right and what's beautiful is when the husband and wife function as one so we never allow the children to divide us if little girl or little boy comes to me and you just sense <coughs> mother has already said something then my question is, what did your mother tell you? Okay, then do what your mother said. If I disagree with the child's mother, that is with my wife, then, then we can just talk it out. Um, anyway, if I'm to, to cover this outline in an hour, I better stop my opening word here. <coughs> but since... In the principle of body, that question was asked by someone representing a group of sisters. Maybe it will be helpful to us all. We are living in a fallen situation. And fragmented household units will be gained. And we need to not just let them be. We live this formal church life. We come to the meetings. But I believe from time to time we will visit them. We will care for them. And that little boy, although he, or little girl, without a dad, they will not only have the painful memory of that, but they will also realize God is really my father. And I did have fathers, more than one father, uh, in the church. So you believe me when the, the, the saints, when the young people come to the full-time training, and I believe... Peter in Hamilton, uh, this is your heart, this is your feeling. You have the sense that we care for these young people as they were our own, sons and daughters. 
right? We do not intrude upon the natural family life, but we really are the family of God. We really are brothers and sisters, and there really are mothers and fathers among us. But oh, that middle-aged brothers who are not elders would get over it and not think all is lost because I never attained eldership. Oh, what a failure am I. I would that we all would get over it and just care for the saints. Do you have to be, do you have a position? Do you have to have a title? Do you have to be appointed, ordained, anointed, whatever, to do that? That we just forget about it? If that's not my function, then it's not my function. That doesn't mean I have nothing. I have Christ in me. I have the grace of God in me. I have the heart of the Father. I have the shepherding spirit of the Son. Then I, don't, I simply do not care about whether I ever become this or that. I do not care whether or not I'm ever asked to go to the elders' training. Um, I like to live Christ in the church. I like to be faithful to the Lord's leading in me. And if the Lord lays upon me to take care of certain ones, then you do it. I believe this will be well-pleasing to the Lord. I believe you will be very, very happy having spent that Saturday afternoon, including that young person with your children. It will be very good for your children to be expanded. The more people there are, there's not less love. There's more love. Love expands with the number of people. This is what we'll get into now. So we try to help the selfish little kids, you know, there's, they're, they're fallen, they're born in sin, so they're selfish, that their logic is, I now have a younger sibling, so there's less love. Now I've got to share your love. And I'm not saying I was successful in this, but at least my attempt was to tell them and to demonstrate more kids, more love. Now there's someone more to love you and someone for you to love, but maybe I'm just a sentimental getting older brother, but I don't think so. But let's look into this matter of the development of love in the time remaining. And much of the first part I'll mainly read because the burden is going to be on the second half of the outline, I think. Faith and love are two inseparable, excellent virtues of the believers in Christ. Okay? Love and joy. If there's love, there's enjoyment. Uh, it's not normal to have no enjoyment. Paul was in a hard situation in prison in Philippi, and on the one hand, he was suffering a lot, yet he was enjoying. I don't know of anything more cherishing than an atmosphere of the genuine enjoyment of the Lord. Oh, this means a lot. When I was young, my dad at that time smoked. My mother did not smoke. But there would be times when she would get my dad's cigarettes and she would smoke. And that always frightened me because I realized there's something wrong. My mother's insecure or she's nervous. And her, her, her smoking in that way communicated to me 
she's not happy, she's frightened, she's upset. And you heard me say uh, that she used to sing when she was doing the ironing once upon a time, you know, there were not permapressed things. And a lot of time was spent doing ironing and she would sing these songs from the 30s and 40s and I just enjoyed her singing. Then the singing stopped and I realized something happened in my mother's heart and she never sang again. But if we have the enjoyment, this is at home, so it's not performed, right? It's not putting on a happy face. It's not acting happy in the Lord. It's enjoying. Love enjoys. So right now, we don't need a profoundly deep metaphysical, theological, philosophical definition of love. Let's begin by just saying, love enjoys. If you love something, you enjoy it. Whatever you love, you enjoy. So love enjoys the things received and realized by faith. So spontaneously, the faith will produce the enjoyment of the very thing received and partaken of by hope for nourishing ourselves, building up others, and expressing God. I stand by the sequence. How are you going to nourish your children if you don't nourish yourself? It's not being selfish. If mother's not doing well, nobody's doing well, right? And, but the enemy can just rob the sisters that are mothers from their needed time to be nourished for their own being. We all need this. Then we can build up others and express God. Faith is for appreciating, substantiating, and receiving the unlimited riches of the triune God. Love is for experiencing, enjoying, and living out the immeasurably rich triune God. Many of these points are from a marvelous note at the end of Titus in the recovery version. It's a classic. It's well worth PSRPing some of those portions. C. Faith is for the believers to be joined to the triune God who is everything to them. Remember the one do given last night? Only one do. One don't. Don't do anything in yourself. One do. Do everything in oneness with the Lord. So by faith we are joined to Him. Uh, all of our problems are caused by the separation between us and the Lord. So now at home, temporarily, we're the same as an unbeliever. Right? We're the same as an unbeliever temporarily. And we, we have God in us. We know we have God in us. But the children have no way to realize because they just see us. I once had some very honest fellowship with a brother. We were in the lead together. And he was physically large and quite imposing. And his personality was quite strong. And he had... Uh, three little boys. The third was just an infant. But the second one, there was some problem developing and I tried to point out to the brother how this little one sees you. You may have this kind of feeling, that kind of feeling for him, but he sees this force coming at him. 
And yes, you have all the feelings in you, but what is the expression? This little one can only respond to what is actually expressed. No, I don't want to be too much, and I'm not too much, but if that expression is Satan, that's terrible. Terrible. So we need the faith that will join us to the Lord. And love is for the believers to minister and transmit the triune God to their fellow believers so that they may love one another with divine transcendent love and live a corporate life in Christ. Do you realize you can transmit the triune God to your children? Who is better positioned than a mom to do this? And you can do it. And you are doing it. You are doing it. As Paul would say, just keep doing what you're doing, just increase and abound more and more so that they may love one another with the divine transcendent love. And then they'll want to live a corporate life. If we're not in this kind of love, we really will not want to live a corporate life. So a real test is, when there's a regular meeting and it's canceled, there's this sigh of relief, a free night, and then the corporate life ceases for that evening. Ah, an unplanned vacation, hiatus from the church life. And, and as much as we may try to exhort the saints to be corporate, only love makes us corporate. Love gives us a desire to be corporate. D, in order to stand firm and overcome the downward trend of the church's degradation, this wonderful faith and super excellent love are indispensable. One, we should not walk by sight or care for the outward situation. We are not living in a fantasy. We're not saying there isn't the problem. What we're saying is, that's not all we see. We do not walk by sight. With young people, we should not go by appearance. There may be some sitting in the back of the row, chewing gum, seemingly distracted in the meeting. Our response should be, Lord, I thank you that this one is sitting here distracted. They could be a lot other places. Not just partaking of gum, but a lot other things. Thank you, Lord, that they're here. And we may find they're getting much more than you suppose. And because they want to be cool, much more than they will let you know. Especially the parents. You may be the last to know. But if the cross works a little bit, and you give your children room to be cared for by other saints, and don't feel hurt, because you're the last to find out, then they will have more room to grow. And then we care for one, under, one another's sons in this way. Two, we need to enjoy the source of this wonderful faith, the triune God to whom we have been joined through faith. So very often I may pray, Lord, you're the author and perfecter of my faith. Develop my faith. Perfect my faith for your economy. Three, <clears throat> by the super excellent love of the triune God, we should love him and all those who belong to him. 
the, the nature of the love in the church, according to Paul's word in Philippians 2, is on the same level for every person and every kind of person, no matter what their social status is, no matter what their skin color is, their nationality, their culture, their economic level. Then you have all these different young people with different temperaments and personalities and dispositions. In our natural life, we cannot have the same love. If you do not believe this, if you trust that you have the capacity to do this, I believe God will send you a particular person. It may be a saint, it may be an elder, it may be a young person, it may be one of your own kids, and you will find out you just can't love this one. And why does this person have to be in the church exposing you? Well, this is very helpful so that you will realize you need God to be loved then you will have no preferences. It's very important for the young people to be in a situation of full, unbiased acceptance and no preferences. And, but only God is this way. He's no respecter of persons. He has millions of children. Each one is of particular value to him. He loves each one particularly. And he loves us all the same. So we've had to learn. We tend to think, or I thought anyway, in the early years, uh, anyone who opposes the Lord's recovery, they'll get nuked. Surely the earth will open up and swallow them. And we'll be vindicated and I'll be vindicated. But I'm not saying the time won't come when the Lord will deal righteously. But basically his view is that you're a bunch of naughty He's not that quick to annihilate his kids, his children, to discipline them. And so we need this love to expand, that we love the Lord, we love the brothers, we love all human beings, and we even love our enemies. And you know what is versus this kind of love, right? It's the self. The more the self is touched, the more God's love increases and expands, and then we just had the same flowing love on the same level for everyone. That's the church. In society, there is selective love, there is preferential love, there is exclusive love. You know, even bank robbers, they kind of have a camaraderie, fellow criminals, honor among thieves. The Lord said even the Gentiles do the same. Someone says hi to you, you say hi to them. But if they don't say hi to you, forget it. So there's a, a serving one on the campus. I don't know why he has maybe a certain disposition. But when I pass him in the hall, he never says hi. Never says hi. I don't know. Maybe he figures I see you every day. I don't have to say hi. But that's a test to me. That's a test to me. Am I going to be bothered? by the fact you don't look me in the eye and say hi? Have I stopped loving you because you don't hi me today? <laughs> but we can really be peeved over people who don't say hi to us. 
And then we make this decision. From now on, I will say hi if you say hi. <laughs> you will be the first to say good morning, and then if you say that, then I may consider saying it. So we need God as love to increase in us. We all do. We're all the same. So let's give him room to grow. Two, Roman numeral two, that is. Paul wanted to perfect the believer's faith and then encourage them to increase and abound in their love. Love flows out of faith. So faith is foundational. I hope we have some impression of this. And faith operates through love. Faith without love uh, is, is not normal. These faith people that have a strong teaching about faith, yet no love, I don't consider that the genuine faith. Faith in its operation always works through love. Paul's emphasis on love indicates that love is a vital factor in the Christian life. Remember Brother Lee's message? You know, love the most excellent way. And it's the most excellent way to do anything. Without it, we're nothing. If we do try to do all the speaking about the scenery, but have no love, we're just a gong. The children will know gong. There it goes again. Bong. Ting. Tang. We're not, we're not for that. But when we're speaking in faith, and the faith is operating through love, that means God is the substance of that speaking, and it's most precious. The divine love is immeasurable. So the more people, the more love. We shouldn't think we have to parcel it out like a Marie Callender's pie, and that we've just got this one pie. More people, the smaller the piece for me. Uh, the pie expands as the participants expand. It's limitless. Wouldn't you like to, to touch this? You can never exhaust it. You can never stop. It's impossible. It's just a flowing current all the time out of God's being. Nothing can exhaust it. But if uh, your natural love is being exhausted, I would like to congratulate you on your progress, your amazing progress. You're on the border of the good land. You just cross over the Jordan and touch the immeasurable, infinite, inexhaustible love of the processed and consummated triune God. And you just immerse yourself in it and let it carry you. And you'll have exquisite enjoyment. It may be a paradoxical enjoyment in the midst of difficulty, I admit. But deep within your being, there's this blessed participation in the inexhaustible love. D, following faith is love, which issues from faith and works together with faith as an indication of growth in life. Uh, scripture uses this symbolism that the breastplate is the breastplate of faith and love, and the breasts symbolize faith and love. And as the bride is maturing, the sign of the growth in life will be the development of faith and love. It won't be tremendous power. It won't be some kind of strange type of piety, some odd kind of so-called spirituality. The genuine growth in life will be manifested 
by the development of faith and love. That's really the essence of our Christian life. We believe and we love. We love and we enjoy. We believe and we receive. That's it. And when the Lord comes back, it's going to be for a believing, loving, mature bride. And so we all need this development. Wouldn't you like to have a development of your enjoyment of the Lord? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be neat? Don't you need that? I used to think enjoyment was for the shallow. The deep people are the morose ones. The deeper they are, the more they suffer. And so suffering, no matter what kind of suffering it is, especially self-imposed suffering, must be a sign that you are contemplating the grapevine, right? In that you are, the olives are knowing pressure. But Brother Nee's last word was, I kept my joy. We need our joy restored. Not only restored, we need it developed. My, then, when we contact the children, it's in an atmosphere of faith and an atmosphere of enjoyment that's not performed. E, if the saints are perfected in their faith, and if they increase and abound in love, they will all have a living in love. You know, all these points come from Brother Lee's ministry. I, I would like to find out what this is like with you all, a living in love, not just a meeting in love or a gathering in love, but a living in love. Actually, this is the church life, and that's a love to the saints in their locality. See, that's where we have to begin. If you skip over your locality and you have an internet love or an email love to the saints in another part of the world, uh, I would have a question of that. I once heard a sister testify here in Anaheim about how she was built up with Fenelon and Madame Guyon and Brother Lawrence by reading their books. I don't know if there's any long-distance building like that. You read Madame Guyon's autobiography, you get built up with her but you're not built up with a sister cleaning the meeting hall with you. I, I don't have any trust in that kind of thing. We have to begin loving some actual, practical, present, imperfect, particular saints that are with us all the time, right? That's where it begins. I'm reminded of a Peanuts cartoon. Is it okay if I use a Peanuts cartoon as an illustration? This is back in the 50s. I don't know if it's Linus or Charlie Brown. He makes this statement, I love mankind. It's people that I can't stand. <laughs> right? And so we may love the brotherhood. We, we love the brothers universally. But these actual people here, come on, I mean, be realistic. Well, first it's in our locality. And then all believers everywhere. And all believers means all believers, not just all the saints in the Lord's recovery, 
That's all the believers. F, the church in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ should be composed of those who are increasing and abounding in their love to one another and to all people. So, next year when you come together and Benson Phillips chairs the conference, I, I say and uh, hope, then we suspect there will be a significant increase in our love. One year, shouldn't we expect an increase and abounding in love? Not just increase, abounding. What's that? Wouldn't you like to find out what that is really like? And then the church life becomes very dynamic. It's not stagnant, stale, old, predictable, routine, loved. All kinds of canned formulas of expression. But an increase and abounding, we sense we're in something developing, something dynamic. Isn't that appealing? There is progress going on. We thank the Lord for where we've come, but what's ahead? Increase and abounding until we're in the reality of Ephesians 3, where we know the unknow we know the love of God that passes knowledge, and we are in the breadth, length, height, and depth of this knowledge surpassing love with all the saints, and we're filled unto all the fullness of God. We're in a kind of divine delirium. We're in the inner substance of God's being together. I believe it. I believe this kind of stuff because it's written in the Word of God. So Paul would encourage us, not demand. We're not going to dem go. Uh, we demand that you, you go home and love. We insist. That's pathetic. Just tap into that resource you will be so comforted to discover you can love people. You, you, you can love people and you can love her. Wow. You, you won't be proud. You will be humbled by that. You will realize God is in me and God is love and his love is boundless and I would like to break down all the barriers, all the limitations. How about if we let the Lord do this? Anything that's holding back the increase and abounding in love, the Lord would just remove from among us. Uh, let's see. The love to one another and to all people. Now we're at all people. Didn't Brother Howard Agashi love people? People. He's a pattern to us. A lover of God, a lover of man, of people. So if there's a people in your environment at work you don't love, you have to admit you have no love. So now you have an opportunity to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't love this person. Actually, I feel X, Y, and Z toward this person. I'm not one with you. I don't agree with this. I don't agree with working with his people and not loving them. What kind is this the work of faith? Being here? And then I will always retreat on my lunch break 
to make up for morning revival, which I sometimes miss, or to read the ministry, I would never have lunch with any of these sinners, pagans, radical feminists. Some of them are even Democrats. How can I have lunch with them? <laughs> well, <clears throat> the Lord was separate from sinners, but he was the friend of sinners. So we need to let this love increase and abound. The church in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is characterized by this increasing and abounding love. When your children are growing, you're not bothered that they're not full grown, but you would be bothered if they stopped increasing, wouldn't you? Would you say, oh, forget about it. The child is the same height at 17 as he was at 7, but you have to realize life takes time. Not that much time. Not that much time. The no growth should be a concern to us. So I had no thought prior to sharing this. I'm touching something dynamic. Increasing and abounding. We make no claim that we have arrived, but we should have the sense we are increasing and we are abounding. And now we love more saints than we used to love, more believers than we used to love, more people than we used to love. We will even develop to the point someone will cut us off and we will not insist on tailgating them. How about that? You think God hates? Does he react with fury? You, you turn without a signal. I'm waiting here, and you're coming toward me. I expect you to go straight. You're coming slowly. Then you turn right. Don't you know there are front turn signals for a reason? Those front turn, turn signals are for you to indicate to me that you're going to turn so I won't have to wait with the false belief that you're going straight so I could turn left before you turn right, and I'm on my way. Do you think God in driving a car is bothered by someone who fails to use a turn signal? I don't think so. I believe we could be one with him and let love increase. And let, Let's just find out what happens if love increases and abounds. But do, do you believe it? Let me check with you. A little faith test here. Do you believe in the possibility that your love will increase and abound in the next year? Right? I believe it. The word is spoken. The word is written. I look forward to it. But that's going to involve two things. It's going to involve your enjoying the Lord, and it's going to involve yourself being touched. If love is to increase, something's got to decrease. If love is going to abound, something must diminish. And I say this in a non-threatening but faithful way. It has to touch this. Or else the divine love has no way to spread. But if we enjoy more, and if we experience the cross more, we'll touch it. I testify to you, you will touch it. 
then you'll be willing to say, Lord, I just have this little taste. If this is what increasing and abounding love is, I want to go all the way then. Like that hymn, you know, all of self and none of thee, less of self and more of thee, then eventually none of self and all of thee. Then, then we are in the intrinsic core of the economy of the triune God of love, working himself into us in his essence so that we will build ourselves up to be his corporate expression. It's going to happen sooner or later, so why not sooner rather than later? But I, I have to be honest with you. If you won't let the Lord touch yourself, it's not going to happen in you. You can have all kinds of excuses. The brother who called me yesterday, on the one hand, he was gentle, yet the fault was everybody else in the church. The elders, the sisters, the brothers, the saints. Well, maybe in terms of right and wrong, that's the fact. What is hindering us is the self. The self has to be denied. The self has to be terminated in practical experience. Then God as love in our spirit will flood our being. Wonderful. <clears throat> okay, we'll see if we can pull this off, but we'll keep going now. Love is the motivation and the characteristic of our Christian labor. Caring for children is not just work. It's labor. Serving the living God is related to the labor of love. The labor of love is truly a labor. It is not merely an action or some kind of conduct. Labor is both deeper and harder than work. So maybe we should call it the children's and young people's labor, right? It's labor. But we're not after a change in terminology. If we only work, we'll have only a partial result. Our Christian work eventually becomes a labor, something that is deeper and more difficult than mere work. So I have to tell you, the deeper and more difficult tasks await us. It will be deeper and more difficult. Serving the children, caring for the young people, will get deeper and more difficult if you get to the level of labor, of labor. It is not easy to serve God. It is a labor. Labor involves endeavoring, struggling, and striving. If we would serve the living God, we must struggle. For our labor, faith alone is not adequate. We also need love, a love that is lasting. Raising children is a good illustration of a labor of love. I don't mean in any way to be insensitive, but Brother Chuck, you know what this is like. It's a labor 
a labor of love. The labor is there, but the love is there. You can't deny. The love is there. The love is the characteristic. And the love is the motivation. Sometimes we may have a work, but the characteristic may be something other than love. We're laboring, but we may give the impression we're suffering here. We're martyrs here. We're heroes here. We should be pitied. We work while others rest. They work six hours. We work 15 hours. Pity me. But the characteristic is love with its enjoyment. And love motivates. I don't know if I will be able to make in the Lord this comment. It's in my heart to make it, but I don't know if my spirit is pure or I have the Lord's leading. But there is a certain sister that I know, very faithful, very diligent. And she was not able to participate in a certain matter, and I understand that. But I, what I have in my heart to ask her is this. Are you always doing your duty? You're doing your duty. You may not realize, but we all respect you. You are a dutiful sister. Dutiful in every way. But you're not that happy in being so dutiful. But you perhaps have been built up over years and now decades. You know what a wife's duty is. You know what a mother's duty is. You know what a sister's duty is. Whatever you ask to do, you do it dutifully. I don't say there's no love there, but there's not love as the characteristic of the labor. So what is given off when people contact you isn't love. It's the sense of diligence, of being disciplined, being strict, being accurate, being faithful, being trustworthy, being reliable, being accommodating. Splendid virtues, aren't they all? But that is not the characteristic of our labor. Neither is it the motive. I'm not saying the sisters should stop being dutiful. I expect in the coming years she will labor much more than she's ever imagined but it must be a labor of love. Or your heart will die. You'll just die with them. You may not be miserable, you'll be beyond misery. You're just hollow with them. And you just keep doing it. There's no way out. It's always been like this. I guess it will always be like this. And you would never rebel, you would not even murmur. But there's not that motivation. I don't want to labor 
like this. I'm not a hero. I'm not a martyr. I'm a, learning to be a laboring slave motivated by the God of love. Don't worry about what I have to do. Just don't worry. Pray for me. That, that's good. Don't worry. Don't pity me. Why do I do this? Why do I prepare these outlines? Why do I give you this message? Allow me to say it. Because I love you. And I love your children. I love our children. How dare I say this? It seems that I'm boasting. The Lord knows I have no capacity to love. It's not a duty. I have to do it. It's right upon me. I must be faithful to the work. I must honor my commitment. Therefore, I plow on. What is this? There's a stream. There's a force. There's a motivator that characterizes the labor. Taking care of people, taking care of churches, taking care of young ones, new ones, and children is labor of love. We can't stop with the work of faith. Faith produces love, and love labors. And tonight, the Lord willing, we will see this will issue in hope, which produces endurance. And the last point, <clears throat> I'm going to do it. I'm going to finish in five minutes. <clears throat> I hope I can be true to my word. Be five minutes. Paul's desire was that the believer's faith would be perfected and that their love would increase and abound in order that the Lord would establish their hearts blameless in holiness. The establishing of our hearts is the issue, the result of the perfecting of our faith and the increase and abounding of our love. There is a battle for our heart and for the hearts of our young. The target is the heart. And some of us <clears throat> have learned by painful experience how quickly the heart can turn. It al could almost shock you. It's almost shocking. How can this person be like this for so long and then suddenly it's as if there, there was no feeling, no commitment, the heart's in another direction. Such is the changeable human heart. We should not be idealists. Here is a young person in high school so exercised. I could give you name after name just in Anaheim of what seemed culturally to be the best of the young people. So bright. Top of their class. So this and so that. Now they're all gone. They're all gone. Just part of the world system. This one goes to MIT. This, that one goes to another Eastern school. This one goes there. This one's a doctor. This one's this. Their heart just turned. The heart of the whole family turned. 
So we should not expect people's hearts not to turn unless they are established, blameless in holiness. A blameless heart is an unchanging heart. Because our heart is changeable, a crucial need in our Christian life is for the establishing of our heart. I would beg you, don't begin with concentrating on your husband or your wife or your children. Your heart, my heart, needs to be established. There is a verse toward the end of Proverbs that says, he who trusts in his heart is a fool. We should have no trust in our good heart. Our naturally good heart can spin around on a dime. Certain things may happen to you, certain things may happen to your family, and once that happens, you turn 180 degrees. We have the capacity to be like this. We need to be established, and we need to labor that through faith and love, the hearts of the young will be established. Only the Lord can establish our hearts. Therefore, we need him to cause our hearts to be solidly established and built up. We can ask him to do it. We can pray to do it. For our hearts to be established in a condition of holiness means that our hearts are separated unto him, occupied by him, possessed by him, and saturated with him. Is this not what we want? Do we want a facade? Do we want outward success? I say we do not want this. We want the intrinsic, inward reality of having an established heart that is occupied by the Lord, separated unto the Lord, occupied by Him, possessed by Him, and saturated with Him. Only God can do this that we can labor in love in harmony with him, that he would carry out such a work in ourselves and in all the young people so that whatever happens between now and the end of the age, our heart will be firmly established and will be faithful in love to the end. Amen. Could we have some sharing? I know it's not always easy to be the first to share after certain messages, but would, could we have a few just just respond in fellowship?